Hey, Teddy. Hey, Nick. Do you remember Rob Bell's Luma videos? Oh, God. I forgot about them. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That, a podcast that explores artifacts from turn of the millennium Christian culture. So, Teddy, uh, what do you remember about Rob Bell? We're going to talk about the NUMA video specifically, but I, I kind of want to start with Bell. How does he exist in your memory? I think I think of Rob Bell in as like three separate things. I think okay. of Velvet Elvis sure. as its own thing. So that being the book. Then I remember, then I think of the NUMA videos, which mm -hmm. for me immediately registers as Rob Bell walking and talking too slowly while he mostly says, like, stretches out a relatively simple idea for 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then part three is like Rob Bell on Oprah saying love wins, but also he can't endorse gay marriage. That's my <laughs> Rob Bell, like, timeline. Sure. Yeah. Not an incorrect timeline. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I think Bell op, uh, exists on this really interesting spectrum, right? Like, uh, we're going to get into sort of uh, his biography and his his life as a public figure, but yeah, he exists in these very different forms throughout his uh, time in the public life. So, I want to start with a little bit of a personal caveat about this. I said in the Wild at Heart episode that I was never, uh, at least not in college days, a Rob Bell disciple. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's very true. Uh, I was in the cohort of people who were who were Driscollites or whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, the like neo-Calvinist crew. Was this more of a, a like theology bro thing than oh, it absolutely. was like Okay, 100% a theology, bro. 100%. Okay. okay, because when I was thinking about it after, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when I was thinking no. about it after the episode, I was like, that whole Driscoll Rob Bell thing, it's vague in mm -hmm. my memory as a debate. And so I wondered, was this something that was more of a like a, a sort of guy discourse or something? I'm not sure. It was 100% a theology, bro, discourse. It was also very much a Bible college discourse. Uh, okay. So... Uh, I'll sort of use this to like leverage into our conversation in a minute. So I'm going to just like hold a pin in that for a second. After college, um, I kind of stuck around with Bell for a little, I'm sorry, with Driscoll for a little while. Um, but Bell mattered to me more during my deconstruction after my master's degree. When I was in a space where I was trying to reconcile my questions, my concerns, you know, all those uh, early stage deconstruction stuff. Bell was an anchor for me. Right. There yeah. are there are uh, probably about four or five like public Christian figures uh, that I could say, like, helped get me through those stages of my deconstruction. And, and Bell was probably principal among them. Um, the Robcast podcast. Uh, such a narcissistic name, um, but or egocentric to say the least. I don't want to misuse narcissist because it's a legitimate thing. Um, just so but, we, just so everybody's aware, this is his present day podcast. Right. This is still running. Yeah. It's been going for about ten years or so. 
think he said I listened this morning and I think he said he was on like episode 300 and something. Um, so the, the Rob cast, some of his more contemporary books, they all really mattered to me. Um, one thing that particularly uh, meant a lot was his focus on the prodigal son narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. um, he has this really great moment where he's like, I love the prodigal son narrative because it's focus is the one son getting mad like hey what the hell i've been a good son you're throwing a party for him how come i didn't get a party and the dad's response as bell puts it is what are you talking about you've been here the whole time everything i have is yours you can take advantage of any of it whenever you want you're choosing not to mm -hmm. which i found really compelling at the time i can hear him saying it that's why i'm like smirking it's yeah we should probably say nick and i i have been being a snarky asshole about rob bell during the er, since the early stages of our friendship before i even had the right to be before our friendship was established i was a snarky asshole about rob bell Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I have a vivid memory of like standing at the train stop, yeah. at the, like the SEPTA stop and just going, yeah, so, you know, this thing by Rob Bell. And you're like, you realize he's full of shit, right? <laughs> that was like the first thing you said to me about Bell was, you know, he's full of shit, right? I'm sorry. I was so harsh. I mean, it ended up being fine. All working out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That that attitude may creep creep up a bit in this episode. I'm yeah. just gonna uh, and to be honest, like I've kind of come to agree with you on a number of points about Bell. Yeah. Um that's partially stepping more to this side of the deconstruction process, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all need to go through sort of a, oh, this bullshit is meaningful face in our deconstruction Absolutely. because you know we gotta hang on to something there's there's that need to have something to ground you mm -hmm. because yeah. that's what the religious thinking instills in you for so long so yeah. you just sort of move that anchor along the path until you realize oh i don't i don't really need that yeah and rob that's a nice way of putting it and also rob bell has been very um good at creating content i think also that can cater to a far more diverse spiritual demographic mm -hmm. than primary any of the other texts really that we have done thus far i would say absolutely especially so, as his career has developed yeah for sure so that's going to be basically my thesis for this episode okay right? um i think that Bell represents this really interesting quadrant of progressive Christianity, whatever the hell that means. And you can sort of track this journey of change very publicly, which I think is what makes him a useful example of not necessarily the deconstruction process, but what it looks like to sort of publicly wrestle with spirituality and to publicly shift and sort of how the culture reacts to him and his ideas, I think is sort of indicative of a direction that was abandoned by the church. Totally fair. Yeah. And in fact, the episode I listened to this morning, he was using this phrase like um, 
76 robs ago or like 100 robs ago and was sort of putting forth this idea that there's like hundreds of versions of ourselves, Mm. you know, psychological, emotional, ideological, and that we need to become more comfortable saying, well, that was the Teddy of the past or that was Mm. the Nick of the past. And I'm not that person anymore, but kind of owning it. And Mm. I was thinking this is actually a really nice message and something that the left needs to hear and the right needs to hear and the church needs to hear. Um, There wasn't much Jesus in it. But maybe that's also something to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, Rob, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, and that's, I think, what makes him so appealing in yes. a lot of ways. It's that he has such a persuasive way of giving these nuggets of meaningful advice or meaningful information. It's nothing that's going to shatter your life. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that may even change your life. <laughs> you know, he's really good at giving these pocket sized revelations and then kind of walking away from them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think his ability to recognize that has changed over the years. So let's let's start with a little bit of history about Bell. And sure. I'll touch on why he, in my mind, at least, and in my experience, was uh, a counterpoint to Driscoll for so much. Sounds good. An important thing to remember about Bell is that he's a good representative of the emerging church movement. Okay, The emerging church movement uh, started in the mid-90s. It was sort of a postmodern challenge. I'm I'm quoting um, Robin Wiley here. I'll link that in the descriptions. Really, really great uh, academic discussion of this idea. And Bell specifically. Uh, Postmodern challenge by a number of Generation X preachers who were dissatisfied with boomer style evangelicalism, specifically white evangelicalism. Sociologist Packard has argued that the emerging church is a resistant organization that has attempted to remain flexible, egalitarian, and to avoid pitfalls of institutionalization, such as bureaucratic governance and the implementation of church hierarchies. So other people that fit into this are like Brian McLaren is another really good example. Um, He's an interesting person in and of himself. But but Bell is in this vein of the emerging church. In a sense, it was more organic style of church, right? Trying to avoid the corporatization of the church model. And this is really important for when Bell, in 1999, founds Mars Hill Church. Mm, I remember this. He very specifically named his church, and this is in Michigan, Mars Hill, because he's referencing, I think it's Acts 7, where Mm. Paul goes to Mars Hill, where there is a uh, monument to the unknown God. And he says, oh, you know, like you serve this unknown God. Well, let me tell you about this unknown God. And it's sort of meeting people in the public square, Mm. which is a really interesting approach to church. It's really fascinating. I really loved this narrative uh, from Acts for a, a number of reasons. I think it misses a lot of things. I think it's also really interesting to talk about that interaction with like classicists, mm. right? Those who study the classics, their interpretation of his relationship to Greek culture. 
Oh, okay. It's really fascinating. I'm not even going to attempt to do it because my knowledge of the classics is almost as bad as my knowledge of math. So Pretty bad. Uh, I'm going to leave that on that, but definitely look into that if that's something that interests you. There's a lot of people who talk about it. David Bentley Hart is someone that comes to mind. Anyway, he founds Marshall Church in Michigan. Ironically, in Seattle, Mark Driscoll founds a church called Mars Hill Church. Mm. So Bell's is Mars Hill Bible Church and Driscoll's is Mars Hill Church. Driscoll, what a... What's the word? Oh, my God. Academia. Whoa. Plagiarizer. (laughs) (laughs) I kept thinking patronizing. And then I'm like, no, it's not patronizing. It's plagiarism. (laughs) Bell actually was the plagiarist. That tracks also. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Driscoll founded his Mars Hill in 96. Okay. Are these men just in love with each other? No. And in fact, that's kind of why they exist in this tension. So as Bell, and we're going to demonstrate this hopefully, uh, drifts sort of farther and farther away from sort of the evangelical center into this progressive emerging faith, Driscoll drifts the other direction, right? Driscoll drifts towards the like alt-right side of the church okay so like right now bell has this uh rob cast he lives in la he's good friends with like rain wilson and pete holmes and like like all of these like spiritual-esque celebrities and shit like that He's got this sort of very like West Coast attitude towards spirituality, very mystical, very progressive. Driscoll's in Arizona because he got kicked out of his church. Oh. And he's starting this like other like underground church in Arizona where he legitimately has a compound with multi-million dollars of defense equipment and tons of guns. And he's kind of doing a really shitty Alex Jones impersonation at this point. Jesus. Okay. All right. So just so our listeners are clear, why do we keep, why do you keep talking about these men in case they haven't seen the other episodes? So why do you, why do you keep mentioning this other person? And when you speak about Rob Bell? Yeah. Yeah. And totally fair to like, keep me on that. (laughs) So when I was in Bible college, there were sort of two camps among theology bros, right? The average student, didn't really give a shit. They would read both or they would read neither. Right. Okay. This um, is like 2000 and anywhere from 2000. 2009 to 2010. Okay. 2008 so to 2011, that range there. Yeah. Okay. So there's these uh, two camps. Yeah. There are these two camps. camps. Okay. Um, and again, they're like the theology bros, you know, who like to sit and have five, six hour conversations about Calvinism and Arminianist ideology and, you know, Obviously, that's where I was because I like that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it got into the minutia really quickly. Bell publishes Velvet Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the year on that one? I had it up here. Bell publishes Velvet Elvis in 2005. Okay. Um, by the time we get to where I am, he's got other books like everything is spiritual the gods aren't angry jesus wants to save christians and drops like stars oh my god i i ate i ate everything is spiritual up with a big spoon i yeah. freaking love that book because it gave i'm sorry to hijack but it gave me permission to turn all the secular things i loved 
like to justify the secular things yes. I love. It was like, oh, I can find spiritual themes in all these movies I love and like this like sad folk music I love. And it it was like a permission slip. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved it. Just so kidding. for all of the Bell theology bros, they felt the same way. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Bell is like this effervescent kind of person. He's very excitable and very passionate, and he's got such a great delivery on everything he says. And so they were sort of taken with this permission slip to say, oh, now you can talk about the office if you want in your sermon. Right. Right. Uh, He represented this sort of progression to uh, opening the doors of the church, whereas Driscoll was very... um, I don't want to use the word conservative. He was very much about locking down Mm. your faith, not in a he would not have said it was a a, 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 a carceral thing. He would have said that the only way to be a Christian is to sort of lock the boundaries between the sacred and the secular. It's just memory. I'm sorry. It's just it's bringing me back so yeah. much to these. And I don't think it was necessarily because I wasn't in the same space as you are. All these the names weren't attached to it, per se. And it wasn't necessarily presented in the same kind of like Bell versus Driscoll. But I remember these discussions mm-hmm. about the sacred and the secular and the is everything spiritual. And if God made everything isn't technically everything like God like mm-hmm. and can't we make everything God like and then i remember the debates between you know like this i was at the time kind of going to this more like community based social justice oriented liberal bullshit church and i remember them like having a very different kind of rhetoric about that than my pentecostal upbringing and that there there was this ongoing debate about no our job as christians is not to take the things of the world and try to find spirituality in them. It's to create our own things. It's to uh-huh. be separate from the world. You know, in some ways, this is a conversation we had even about the 90s. But yeah. I don't know if the language just kind of crystallized more at this time and that the debate became the debate became more explicit and that we were literally sitting around saying, is everything spiritual, <laughs> you know, as opposed yeah. to. Just- yeah, no, I and I, I so appreciate that because I think that kind of calcifies why these two represent the poles here. Yeah. Right. Um, but like you said, I, I think I think it's twofold. I think it's we've been having this conversation in different ways throughout the 90s and even the 80s. I think this conversation goes back to like a pre um, Jimmy Carter era America. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now we're having the specific explicit language of what is spiritual, what is the boundary. We're having like the actual language is being used as opposed to are we shining, right? <laughs> The other thing is, is we're coming we're coming of age at this time, right? We're we're in a more cognitively alert space so we can have these conversations based on our readings and interactions as opposed to more of what we're handed. So, yeah, that's a good point. And maybe that's why they feel kind of like very defined, like defining conversations for us. It's sometimes hard to parse out what truly deeply mattered to the culture and what just was like the, we were in this particular time in this particular place and everybody was in that community was talking about it. I don't know. I just also remember a lot of conversations about intention and this idea of, you know, well, are you assigning, are you finding God in these things because God's actually there or 
is it a, again a justification to keep engaging in like the worldly texts or worldly goods or whatever and you had to kind of constantly and then that just opened up this whole onslaught of questions and i just remember kind of having to constantly be proving that damien rice's lyrics were christian you know i mean and, and then that was kind of fun you know like yeah. virgin english major right it's just yeah yeah. It was a really interesting conversation. Also, like think, around yeah. the same time, there's like the crossover band phenomenon. So like Lifehouse and, and early yes. Switchfoot where they're like, are they singing about their girlfriend or Jesus? You yes. don't know. And it's yes. like, OK, so now we're trying to claim these crossover bands. But yes. we're also trying to like, is that even a good thing? And it's really fascinating that there's this kind of vigorous conversation about the boundaries of the church uh, you talked about individualism versus community it's also the era that saw the um for the very first time i would argue is it possible harry potter is spiritual <laughs> like yeah. i remember those conversations like people starting to find like the spiritual metaphors and all of a sudden like all the harry potter christians being like feeling so vindicated like see it was always there and it, you right. know I, yeah. I was in that camp you know it's just yeah. So let's use this to sort of pull back to Bell. What is he doing here? Bell's Mars Hill becomes a megachurch. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Th they estimated 11,000 people every Sunday between the two gatherings. Holy. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That level of influence is kind of interesting. Um, a lot of the descriptions of his church were trying to do something different from what most megachurches did. Right. So I'm going to just read from one description here. It places little emphasis on high tech production during weekly gatherings. The mm. church's sanctuary, formerly the anchor store of a strip mall, reflects this simplistic <laughs> outlook. The sanctuary walls are a light gray with a black ceiling. The lights are low. There's a freestanding homemade wooden cross in the sanctuary on the on communion Sundays. The multimedia projections are white text on a black background. Uh, there's a belief that gathering should not be a performance, uh, but should be the gathering of the church in worship. And and so uh, Robin Wiley, I'm going to quote her a couple times throughout this uh, episode, says really well that Bell straddles the limits of evangelicalism, hmm. which is really fascinating given where he lands or has landed now. Um, somebody asked him about... Actually, I think this is in Velvet Elvis, where he's talking about the trampoline metaphor, basically talking about we've been given this trampoline. We found this trampoline in the middle of the forest. And yeah, I know we're going to be a lot of that today. <laughs> I found this trampoline in the middle of the forest and I want to just jump on it. And everybody else says, well, who's whose trampoline is this? How does the trampoline function specifically? And is everything that I, and, and he says, and I quote, I am far more interested in jumping than I am in arguing about whose trampoline is better. Ah, uh, yeah. And I mean, right there, right there, we kind of get the whole controversy that's going to Classic. arise yeah. in my next breath. <laughs> right? Like, Bell is accused for the next 
I don't know how long has it been since 2011, 12 years yeah. <laughs> being a heretic, a universalist to the point that somebody actually shadowed him for like a year and a half and did a documentary about him. And it's called The Heretic. That's hilarious. Isn't it great? Um, it's definitely worth a watch. It came out in 2018. Um, I'm pretty sure you can find it online for free. That was really that was really provoked, though, by his later work. That was provoked by the hell might not be a thing. Yeah. So in 2011, uh, a couple things interesting happen. The most interesting thing is that he publishes Love Wins. So just for timelines purposes, he wrote Velvet Elvis in 05. And that was like different from normal texts of the time, but not nearly as controversial as this one. Um, Love Wins. Yes. Before you read what I just sent you, I want to note two things. In January 20. 20- 07 sorry 2007 bell was named number 10 on one of on the 50 most influential christians in america Mm. by a christian magazine the church report okay four years later after he publishes love wins time magazine calls him one of the most 100 influential people wow isn't that crazy Uh. what i've sent you is the back cover of Love Wins, the blurb that's written on the back of it. So just to get an idea of what he's talking about, could you please read that blurb? Oh my God, I can hear him. Okay. God loves us. God offers us everlasting life by grace, freely through the merit on our part. Unless you do not respond the right way, then God will torture you forever in hell. Huh? Yeah. So there's sort of the like conceit of the entire book, which is, how do you claim a loving God and we're going to use another theology term here, eternal (laughs) conscious torment, right? Which is the, the, the philosophy, theology, whatever of hell existing as torture forever. Right. Fire and brimstone teacher, uh, uh, teachers, the chick track images, that's all ECT eternal conscious torment. Mm -hmm. So Bell is really pushing back at that tenet of evangelicalism. Now, it's not universally held in evangelicalism. It's not universally held throughout church history. In fact, that's a main point of his throughout the book, right? He devotes a lot of time to like saying, no, what I'm arguing here is not anomalous to the entirety of the faith. And what is he arguing? Beyond being suspicious of this notion, what is he arguing beyond yeah. expressing? So what you described, that hell doesn't exist, is not actually his argument. That's though that is how it's characterized. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah. His argument is that we cannot say that the love of God is all powerful if it is possible to resist it. Therefore... Even if you are sent to hell, you are still connected to God because you are made in his image. And therefore, his love is working you over, over time. And you are therefore able to be saved after death and brought to heaven. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. In other words, you die, go to hell, spend a little bit of time there, and then you get pulled to heaven because eventually you will succumb to Jesus's love, which provides a number of problems. I remember my pastor being like, this is just another way of saying purgatory. We don't believe in that. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's one major critique of Love Wins is this is just purgatory with more steps. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, The other critique is torturing someone into loving you is still a part of this equation. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, it doesn't remove the idea of hell as it is incongruous with a god of love. It just says, oh, it's not, I mean, that's not, it's the eternal part I have a problem with, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, It's been a while. I didn't dig into this whole thing, so I don't 100% remember if he even goes so far as to say there isn't torture. But at the very least, he's saying it's not eternal and there is a a possibility for post-mortem salvation. Okay, so my memory of this text is that Rob Bell, and to be fair, this is a critique I have of him all through the years, is that there is actually a lot he doesn't say. Yes. Yes. In that he is very invested in raising questions pointing out potential problems and then has that writing style that it's like, and then I leave that there with you. Like, and I'm even talking in his way. And then I leave that there with you. Like, I don't remember reading that book and being like Rob Bell raised questions about this and this and this, and then also taught me a different model or walked me through a different way of thinking about this. I yeah. don't remember him landing. Is that something that I am misremembering or is that characteristic? I feel like that's kind of characteristic of him. It is very characteristic of him. It is also a common complaint from more like evangelical sources. Okay. I'm not going to go in depth on this because, God, I cannot stand reading this thing again. But I will have in the in the description a 25 page rebuttal to Love Wins that some reviewer on the Gospel Coalition wrote. And it's annoying as all get out. Okay, but it's also not as wrong as the Gospel Coalition normally is. I would I that's what I was going to suspect. Yeah. 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 It's I hate the Gospel Coalition. We can do an entire episode on the Gospel Coalition. They're more in full swing now. But like Driscoll and Piper are people who were involved in the inception of that. And so I think it'll be an interesting thing for us to talk about. But setting that aside for now, you're not wrong. In fact, Driscoll even says at one point in Love Wins, this is not a book about questions. This is a book about addressing those questions. Yes. Yeah. I hate to agree, but yes. Yeah. But then he continues to ask more questions and not actually give answers because Bell is very rarely concerned with answers. And this is something that I think is both a beautiful part of his approach to spirituality and infinitely frustrating. Absolutely. Absolutely. not concerned with landing anywhere. He doesn't, uh, to use another Bible college phrase, he doesn't land the plane ever. Right. He just goes, isn't it beautiful from up here? It's not how my brain works at, at, or at the time, especially it, I will say this, it was liberating and beautiful to me on this very surface level. And then I would feel like I would try to then push past that and have something to work with. And I didn't have anything. So it didn't give me like a new faith construction. It just opened up questions, which were maybe fruitful in their own right. But at the time, also, it was a frustrating experience Mm -hmm. for me. 
I don't know. Maybe that's just someone who's like, am I just secretly someone who needs a dogma? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And Rob Bell isn't, you know, but you're preaching and you're delivering your ideas to people who are intimately tied to a dogma. They have devoted their entire lives to a doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. So to raise such huge questions about that doctrine without more like concrete reasoning, you have to be a kind of, I don't know, you have to be in a certain place in order to then accept that and be at peace with that. And it just never satisfied me. Yeah, for sure. To sort of wrap up this discussion of love wins specifically, I agree with you. I think that's part of why I found his work so attractive at the point that I did. Yeah. Because I was trying to let go of the need for dogma, for the yeah. let go of the need for doctrine and be more open to sort of the, as he would call, mystical experience of the spirituality in the world. Without jumping into atheism. Right. Without jumping into atheism, because at the time that was, you know, a horrifying idea for me. Yeah. Barely an option. He has these sections in this book that read more like poetry. In fact, he doesn't even like he hits enter and has line breaks and stuff like that. I just want to read this one section to sort of give this ethos that I think sets up the NUMA videos very well. Okay. This is from the preface of Love Wins. Many have these questions. Christians, people who aren't Christians, people who were Christians, but can't do it anymore because of questions about these very topics. People who think Christians are delusional and profoundly misguided, pastors, leaders, preachers, these questions are everywhere. Some communities don't permit open, honest inquiry about things that matter most. Lots of people have voiced concern, expressed a doubt, or raised a question, only to be told by their family, church, friends, or tribe, quote, we don't discuss those things here. I believe the discussion itself is divine. And I I actually love that. But if you're going to build any sort of meaningful ideology, doctrine, etc., that can't be done from there. I'm just like, what does it mean to say the questions are divine? Like, I don't under, but this is, this, this isn't, like I said, this is an age old thing with me and Rob Bell. And I actually think it just comes down to personality and I'm being unfair. So let's, let's just skip it. Let's just skip it. I have said verbatim. The question is divine. What, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it means about as much as anything else Rob Bell says. That's number one. Okay, okay. That's right? all I wanted to hear you say. Okay. Yeah, I, I think okay. it's a largely meaningless thing. But I, okay. I but I don't think this is unique to Bell. No, no, You've said no, this no. a lot of times, and, and you pointed it out very specifically when we did <laughs> Captivating. Yes. This is just like self-help guru stuff. Yes, yes, which I hate. And just so everybody's not being like, she's so hard on Christians. Like I said in the captivating episode, freaking hate it in the secular world too. Hate it everywhere. Yeah. I like to know what my words mean. You know, I just. Del, we're going to, so this is going to be a theme throughout our discussion of the NUMA videos. He gives platitudes. He just gives them in a very creative way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that he's saying anything that novel or that groundbreaking mm-hmm. he's just really creative about it and yeah that's sort of his ethos and it's partly you'll you'll get into this with the numa videos it's also partly performance and affect 100 percent. his presentation 100%. got i mean it was so unique at the time and the numa videos it's like you could say 
I need to go to the bathroom in the tone and style that he does while walking through the woods when there's rain falling. And it would sound profound, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so he was ta- he was brilliant in that sense. And I think that's part of what fuel not only what fueled the Numa videos, but what fueled his leaving of Mars Hill Church. Mm. Right. He said that he wanted to when he left the church, he basically said, I want to be in a place where I can focus on creativity and innovation and an imagination in a way to reach more people. He actually pitched a TV show to ABC. Did you know that? No. <laughs> Co-written by one of the writers of Lost. <laughs> That's so random. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It never it never took, but he pitched it. That also feels so like. 2010s thing right. to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Before he leaves Mars Hill Church, he is interested in uh, presenting a like packaged version of his sermoning. Okay. He wants to be able to give this tool to churches. He wants to produce something that can be given. Uh, YouTube links weren't something adults were thinking about back then. So these were all like DVDs sent to people, you know. They were expensive too. It's they just were very a expensive. Note, but I remember my youth group bought only could only buy some. I guess you could buy like individual episodes mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was like a huge deal being able to like get them because they weren't they weren't cheap. Yeah, they weren't cheap. They were a little difficult to get at certain points. Uh, mm-hmm. They also came out over the course of seven years. Yeah, I remember that. So the first premiered in November two thousand two. Mm-hmm. And the last was published on July 2009. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. The tw- there's 24 of them. They're all shorter than, I think the longest is 14 minutes. Mm, okay. It was produced um, by this company, Flannel, that approached Bell and said, hey, we want to help you do this thing. Let's figure out how to do this well. And so a lot of people were suggesting, oh, well, you know, you do a lot of visuals. He's kind of that person that started doing a lot of like props in his stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, so the reason pastors do that is partially because of Bell. Um, he had That's elaborate hard. props in his servants. It was crazy. But he didn't want to just do point a screen at the altar, right? Or the, the stage. Mm-hmm. Point a camera at the stage. He didn't want to do that. So they worked together and they came up with a series of 24 videos that uh, were supposed to be this like artist's rendering of a sermon. Right. I remember Uh, most of them are exactly as you described earlier. It's Rob Bell walking in some obscure location while Mm -hmm. there's some soundtrack happening in the background with lots Mm -hmm. of gaps for silence and gravitas. And so damn slow. I watched (sighs) all of the ones that I watched. I watched on one point seven five. You have to. It's so slow. There's a there's a playlist of all of them. Again, I'll put that in the show notes. And I, I encourage you to like, if you're interested, see what we're talking about, because this is an experience. Yeah. Uh, Numa, as Bell spells it, and as you'll see from the title of this episode, is N-O-O-M-A. It's basically a bastardization of the phonetic spelling of the Greek word pneuma, which means wind or spirit. It's like when you're studying theology proper pneumatology is the study Mm -hmm. of the holy spirit right so it's that kind of idea 
it's now an energy drink. So that might be more, which is <laughs> funny. I mean, it makes a new meaning to, are you filled with the spirit? Yes, it really does. Um, so these episodes are called things like rain and noise and kickball and lump and Matthew and tomato. Let's talk about a couple of these. I, I most specifically want to talk about the first one that I had you watch, Teddy. Mm -hmm. um, could you offer a brief description of sort of the the tone and the atmosphere of this uh, video? Because I think that's the best way to describe what happens in this, because nothing happens. <laughs> we just sort of watch this like a tonal experience. Right. So it's like understated colors. He's walking through this like wooded area. He has his adorable baby boy on his back. And he's basically saying that they're on this walk and that he can hear his son cooing and making all these noises and responding to like the surroundings. And this is just such a beautiful experience for him, like seeing his newborn and maybe not newborn, but seeing his baby interact with the world. And then it starts to rain and the rain, you know, starts to like really get worse as the video goes on. And so the baby starts to get wet. And then he kind of does this like, almost like the Jesus footprints concept where, <laughs> yeah. remember, you know, where he's like, you know, um, I wouldn't trade that memory, even though it ended with rain and like a storm, because I was like, I don't even know. It was like bond. I was bonding with my son right. and it was like a moment that we shared. I was taking care of him and I loved him. And so then he then uses it as like a that's what father our father God does with us, that he's with us in the rain. Basically, that's that. I think that's a great description of this episode of this video. Uh, there's a lot of like flashes to random like images like there's, a you know, rain on a black background. There's the sun. There's a picture of a lake. And there's Belle sort of walking in these alleys of a random city. Yeah. And his adorable baby looking. Right. I don't actually think that's his son, because I think at this point, his son so. is a few years older. Hired yeah, no, it is. It's a cute little kid. I hope that baby got a good cut, you know, given yeah. how expensive these videos are. All of his videos consist of some sort of ambient music. I would mm -hmm. describe the ambient music in this one as like dollar store Gregory Allen Isakov. <laughs> What's with the color choices, too? It's oh, like it's everything's so weird. gray. Why is everything gray? Yeah. Then he, like, gives this little narrative or illustration. Then he ties it to a couple Bible verses or scripture references. Barely. That kind Barely. Of like, yeah, yeah, very loosely. Then it closes into in with him, like, giving this, like, mic drop moment and then a benediction. Right. Yeah. Perfect. All of the episodes follow that format. Mm-hmm. So it's very topical, as we said earlier. Driven by an idea rather than a scripture. Yes. The phrase that kept coming to my mind was that he was focused on a singularizing use of the metaphor of rain. Mm -hmm. I, metaphors, literature thing, Teddy, correct me if I'm wrong or add to this. Metaphors are manifold in their meaning. <laughs> Always. Right. Metaphors are not a singular thing. Right. Don't point to the thing and say this means that or else that thing would just mean that. Yeah. But his use and, and the problem with the topical approach is that it is singularizing to these themes or ideas. Right. Does that track with your understanding of metaphors? Yeah. Right. So most of this is that 
And most of this this video is that like a banal story about taking a walk with his infant son and then it starts to pour. And then it kind of turns into this, you know, kind of, you know, touching story of a dad trying to comfort his child when things are difficult or scary. But then there's this moment. And Teddy, you didn't point out this moment. So I wonder if maybe I was just particularly sensitive to the way that it was presented. Uh, right before the end, the turning point of this narrative is an image of his child being in therapy when he grows up because of that moment he was scared as a kid. And his son asking the therapist, why did dad, my dad make me go through that? Because now I have all this baggage and I'm afraid of the rain and I can't turn the lights off when I go to sleep. And then his response to that moment is, oh, but you don't understand. In that moment, I got to hold you tight. I'm That's what I'm here. saying. The I got to hold you tight. Yeah. I got to remind you over and over again that I love you, buddy. Yeah. I wouldn't trade that for anything. That's, you explicitly said... I wouldn't trade my son's trauma because I got a cuddle moment. Yeah, but that's that's what I said was the age old footsteps concept. It's like we're suffering, but I was there with you. This is even worse, though, because it's it takes the, the emphasis off the son's suffering. And I say that loosely. He got a little wet, like, for God's sakes, but yeah. his suffering and puts it back onto the father as the father's experience. Mm hmm. It reads as totally narcissistic, which right. is who God is, the biblical God is. So in a way, well done, Rob Bell. Yeah, um, but you didn't mean to do that, Bell. <laughs> but you didn't mean to do that. Right. So, yeah, it's troubling. His his benediction here. I'm going to I'm going to give you his benediction just so we can sort of like this is what he thinks the point is. Sure. His benediction is, quote, may you when you're soaking wet, lost, hurting, confused, May you cry out and may the creator of the universe take you out of your path and may he hold you tight up against his chest. May he wrap his eternal loving arms around you and may you hear him whisper, I love you, buddy. We're gonna make it. Dad knows the way home. I love you. Teddy has slunk out of her chair in response to that benediction. You go ahead. I don't. <laughs> I, I, honestly, here's the thing. I it's think it misses so irritating two, to me. <laughs> it's it's very irritating because I think it misses two crucial things. You think? Yes. Okay. The first thing that's crucial that I think it misses is according to evangelical theology, dad knows the way home, but dad is also responsible for the rainstorm and right? taking you out in it and not checking the weather. Right. Because he's you all not, Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you dad is the responsible one like right. god give god does everything he even quotes the scripture god makes it rain on the good the righteous and the unrighteous alike like it totally glosses over any culpability that god has for the scenario yes exactly it, this is the, and this was a thing that was i felt like this was at an all-time high maybe i shouldn't say that but to me, it feels like it's something that's at an all time high in this era. Maybe that's true. Maybe it just marks the time where I'm starting to wrestle with these things. So it feels more, you know, explicit to sure. me. But there was this song that came out. It might have been like 2005, actually, by Nicole Nordeman called Held. And mm. she walks through all these tragic scenarios. And one is like a mother prays for her baby to live and he doesn't. And then mm. the chorus is like, 
But what God says is what you're forgetting is that you were held in your suffering. And I just remember this infuriating me, this just being like so such a troubling idea of a, you know, troubling construction of a God figure. Not to trivialize it, but it makes me think of that moment in Harry Potter when they're reading the tea leaves. (laughs) Yeah. And Ron goes, so you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. I'm like, and I I love that moment in the story because I actually think it's it's just brilliant on a number of levels. Yeah. More importantly, like that's kind of this doctrine here that he's laying out. Like in this analogy, you are a child with zero agency. You're literally just along for the ride. Right. And you might be screaming, but God get got to get his snuggles in. Right. And it's a it's a it's okay. It caused trauma for you, but it's such a sweet memory for God or for the dad. What? The second thing I think it misses is he says this. I'm going to quote him directly. He claims that God, quote, cannot ignore the cries of one of his children who is afflicted. Yet he does. I just have in all caps in my notes next to that sus. Yes, he can. Yes, he does. Yes, he can. (laughs) Yes, he does. But you know what? The thing with Rob Bell is that Rob Bell's videos cannot and were not meant to sustain this level of scrutiny. Absolutely not. So we could do this until, you know, for the next six hours and we're always going to come up with pro it's, it's like, it's not the point of them. Their point exists on more sort of a, you're probably going to have a better word, but it's just, it's not the point of the videos. No, you are, you have gotten to the punchline right away. And that is these videos are not designed to even be sermons, right? He's not trying to convey any sort of information that is new. Right. He's not even trying to make a unique theological point. Right. Or present a novel perspective on a known theological point. No. The point of these, more often than not, was the artistry in which we make these standardized claims. Yes, or the affect, I would say, sure. is attempting to produce a more academic term, but a, attempting to produce a certain feeling or experience right. in the audience, not a knowledge base, not an idea, maybe maybe an idea, but not a knowledge base, not a doctrine. It's meant to make you walk away feeling something and it succeeds in that for the average There's nothing person. wrong with stuff that wants to make you feel more than it wants to make you know. That's okay. Yeah. I I think that's a valid communication form. I think it's a valid art form. But I also think that from a spiritual leader, from any sort of, the the word that I always think of when I think of Bell is guru. Mm, Yeah. From anybody in that sort of position, this is a problem. Yeah, because this is very much like the self-help nonsense. You're not saying anything novel when you tell people to, like, eat right. Like, eating yeah. right doesn't mean anything. Take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. like that shit. Yeah. Or like yeah. a common tactic with, like, uh, health guru grifters is to add on to whatever bullshit they're selling. Also diet and exercise, because chances are, if you're someone who doesn't diet and exercise, Right. Doing those things will make you feel better because that's naturally what they do. 
Right. Not the apple side of it here. Yeah. <laughs> the feelings yeah. of good that exercise that and like movement and healthy eating is going to give you with the bullshit that you're being shoveled. Right. So this idea that like, hey, you can't do anything about the suffering. Sure. But you're being held. <laughs> it doesn't change a damn thing. Right. But if you can look and you can feel a certain way when you feel that way something's changed something's accomplished in your mind yeah and you've walked away from that video with a feeling about god not an answer of how to reconcile the question of suffering yes which is what i wanted as a kid it's what i still want and it's just not the damn point so i think Mm -hmm. actually this conversation is really helpful for me in terms of framing it that way yeah yeah i'm I'm asking for something from him that's not what he's meant to deliver, you mm-hmm. know, I think this is something not unique to you and I, but a unique thing that we share, which is we are both very inquisitive people. We yeah. are both very interested in learning the cause behind the cause. We very much want to explain how things work and why they work. And and we're very interested in these layered questions. Right. And people speaking this language are not interested in nuance and layering of questions. They're creating this singularized effect. Mm-hmm. Effect is a great word. Yeah. This singularized effect, whether that's an experience, an emotion, whatever. And that's it. Like they want to give you a thing that creates that effect and then moves on or, or invokes that effect and moves on. The problem with Rob Bell, though, is that so much of his work had greater implications beyond that, yet no backing. Well, what have we been saying for going on a dozen episodes now? Yeah. Once you snap cosmic consequences onto anything, right. you've created this incredible issue. Right. I just mean you can't in, two th- in the 2010 say to the Christian church, hey, like this hell thing may not be a thing. And then just leave it there. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess he can. I guess he did. It just feels like. Well, I mean, he did. No, no. It alienated like 50% of the church. But he got new followers, right? Didn't he get like a whole new kind of crowd through that? Yeah. There, like, yeah. He did this really interesting thing. I think this is a moment of shift for him, right? When he publishes Love Wins, he alienates all the people that were like, eh, you know, he's just one of those progressive hippy dippy kind of guys. The already on the fence people. Yeah, he alienated all of them. And then he sort of called a bunch of people that said, you know, the the independent voters, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) The the people who were like, well, I would like to be a Christian or I would like to have faith, but I can't accept X, Y and Z. Yeah, the hatefulness or the hell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and so he gave this space for, oh, you don't have to believe in an inerrancy. You don't have to believe in hell. You don't have to, like, take all of these doctrines. You can take sort of the everything's a temple, everything's spiritual idea and apply it to your life. And that's that's meaningful. Uh, One of the other episodes, we're not going to talk about the whole video, but he ends with the episode is called Rhythm. If you're interested, he says, when I think of God, I think of a song. Jesus shows us how to live in time or rhythm with the song. So you need to see if you are in tune. Some people are so caught up with the technical aspects of the song that they miss the pure and simple enjoyment of it. 
And so this, you know, this sort of ends with a, a benediction that is like live in tune with the divine, whatever that means. So you get to kind of come back to that, like, okay, that doesn't mean anything, but also it's helpful, but also it's really not. <laughs> I'm just, I guess what I, I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm thinking is I'm torn because on one hand, on an individual level, in terms of like intellectual style and my own personal history, can't stand this. But also probably the kind of faith that it yields is more of a faith model that I would prefer to see in the world. Sure. So that's where I'm. So then I when I think about that fact, I'm like, maybe I should just shut the hell up, you know, because at the end of the day, it's like, I think that Rob Bell's probably whole ideology is more inclined to make people practice a kinder, gentler faith that isn't anti-gay, anti-immigrant, that is more suspicious of kind of hell and brimstone narratives and probably in terms of like real world effect effect. You know, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I would agree with that. A lot of he, for the record, I know he said his problematic stuff on Oprah, but for the record, in in part of his tour for Love Wins, he was asked explicitly, OK, what do we do about gay marriage and, and gay folks? And he said, basically, they're children of God and followers of God, like I'm trying to be. So, like, we need to not worry about that kind of stuff and just get in tune with who God is. Yeah. Now I have seen that kind of thing used as like a gay people are sinning, just like we're all sinning sort of narrative, which can also be dangerous, but yeah, but it's this very ambivalent, very like, Oh, that's not the point. We're not talking about that. And it's like, okay, but we kind of have to, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What I was referring to was somebody, somebody was pushing him on like, is our gay people sinning? And he like could not answer. I wonder how much of that was him hedging, but he also doesn't seem like the kind of person who would hedge. Yeah, I don't know. This was like years ago. Yeah. So I don't know where he is now. I think he's, you know, his ethos is more in that like accepting and affirming camp. Yeah. There's a chance that Trump era also pushed him. We saw that happen with some of the more, quote, liberal Christian thinkers that like that far right, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. (laughs) four years push them even further to the left. So maybe I'm I'm not speaking necessarily to a contemporary Rob Bell when I say that. Sure, 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 sure. The last thing I want us to talk about today uh at the risk of going way way over time you know we could talk about this forever is this later video from the numa series i think this is number 15 titled you okay so let's talk about this last video of his it's not the last in the sequence but if i'm being honest i think this video is much more interesting than the final video in the sequence Mm. teddy what did you notice that was different Markedly different, I think, in this than the first one that we watched, Rain. Um, I'm not entirely sure what you're going for here, but one would be it feels like he's talking more to the collective church, like capital C, than he maybe is just like the individual experience. Sure. It's a lot more. It's less about like one's relationship with Christ and a bit more like gospel oriented in Mm -hmm. terms of the message you are giving to the world rather than just your personal relationship with God. I'd also say it's more Christ centered um, and Mm -hmm. less 
broad God. The first video I feel like was a bit more universalized God. Mm-hmm. And this more like rooted in a kind of Christian doctrine and much more. He's using a lot more like historic, socio-historical, cultural references in order to make his point. Yes. More specific. Yeah, it's much more specific. There seems to be an actual like practical or at the very least actionable argument mm-hmm. that's being made. I don't want to call it practical, but it is actionable. So the, the basic summary of what he lays out is he gives a basic overview of the Christ narrative, like bare bones Christ narrative. Yeah. Then he compares that to Mithra, to Attis, and to Caesars. Those are various mythical figures uh, who are also deities or viewed as the sons of deities who go through a resurrection loop, right? They, uh, if we can use very uh, academic language, they fit the archetypes, you know, according to Joseph Campbell, right? The archetypes of the dead and resurrected God model. The, just for the sake of saying this, the the Norse God Balder also fits this model as well. That is often something that is used or at the very least invoked uh, in conversations of Christ, uh, sort of like the the disputing the literal deity of Christ. People will say, oh, you know, they're just copying this model. And I never found that when I was younger, I never found that uniquely compelling. Uh, I happen to now. (laughs) Um, But I also really find Bell's construction of it compelling. And I'll explain what I mean by that. He ultimately argues that the language of the early church, the use of the term son of God, the use of the term gospel, the use of the term evangelion or evangelical, the use of the the communal stuff has almost nothing to do with a literal spiritual sense of things mm-hmm. and more to do with political anti-empire, anti-colonial, anti-imperialist rhetoric in action. Because these communities, these evangelical communities in the early church served, uh, I like the phrase he used, the underside of the empire, those who are abandoned by empire. They are saying very firmly, no, the empire is not God, but peace and love is God. That is who is the gospel, right? Uh, he very specifically contextualizes that is, do you believe that Caesar, that empire is making a better world or that Jesus, that peace loving communities are making a better world? And I can actually get behind that construction of substance, right? In that, if we if we stopped the video there, I think there's actually something we can get behind. What do you think? Does this feel more like the same bullshit to you? Uh, to me, it felt different. It feels like similar bullshit to me, but (laughs) it goes back to my other point about the implications being so much more productive and positive. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So as an individual with my particular way of thinking, my particular past, my particular preferences for rhetoric and presentation, my red flags are still going up for like, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, what's a broken world? What's love? What's, you know? Yeah. But if one were to sit down and have this inspire them to approach the world with kindness and love and mercy, which I could see happening if you approach this sincerely and genuinely, 
I think it's great. Sure. Does that make sense? I, I hope that doesn't sound condescending. I'm trying. No. I'm trying to be fair here in terms of what I recognize as my own preference and history, and what I also know in its real world application is probably a fine thing. Sure, 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 sure. And and I'll I'll even add this caveat here. I agree with all those critiques. Yes, I think. I don't actually think that this is a thorough and nuanced presentation of early Christian efforts to act against or protest the empire. I don't think that he's given us anything specific or practical, right? I think it's loosely actionable. That's why I kind of split hairs on that term earlier. I also think that there's a difference in your expectations and what can reasonably be expected from Bell or someone in Bell's position. And that is like you and I are kind of used to reading these texts that are like, okay, I cannot begin to talk to you about this thing until I discuss the entire history of the use of this word in relationship to the specific thing. Now that we're 10 pages in, I can start making my arguments. Right, right. And sometimes just personality. I'm a little bit more of a concrete thinker in terms of, yeah. And, you know, I think this is more towards metaphor when I'm talking. I was just about to say this comes up in our friendship outside of Christianity, whereas like I feel you being frustrated with me being too rigid and me being frustrated with you being too like open ended, you know, so absolutely. And yet here we are loving each other, doing exactly what Rob Bell said, you know, I think that this video ultimately is more of the same from Bell and more of the same that we've seen from this era. But it's oddly aggressive and pointed for Bell. Mm-hmm. I can I see that. That That's kind of what I mean by what's different here. Like this feels like it's that turn when he stopped going, OK, I'm going to stop playing the pastor now. I'm just going to do this thing that I think is the right thing to do, period. End of discussion. And he's not willing to dialogue about whether or not he's actually making the right choice or right. what that <laughs> looks like. Right. But he has been decided, uh, decidedly active about that in a way that he doesn't feel in other epi- other videos. Right? The other ones are these sort of uh, like the ambiance is very specific and this feels more like a talking head. Mm, yeah, this feels more like I am being given a specific message, even if that message is not well constructed or well yeah. researched or well presented in that sense. Yeah. And has more to chew on. It's more um, co- packed in terms sure. of content, I think, than that other the first one you gave me, which was honestly relatively simplistic. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but in the end, I think this falls flat, right? It goes back to saying that there's this per- personal dimension to a very specific and l- specific and literal God, literal specific Jesus, because like God wants to put it all back together. That's the specific thing that to, so you start this commentary about being the body and needing belief in God and needing those to believe in the specific resurrection. That doesn't jive with what you just started saying. Mm, right. Yeah. Like you've made this very kind of I think I think young Nick would have seen it as very radical. Like it's it's not about specific literal Jesus. It's about political action and anti-empire and love and peace like that's beautiful and i think it gets to more of the point of why the jesus message and the christ message can be moving and motivating Mm -hmm. but it doesn't actually do that he pulls (laughs) he pulls back before he does that yeah Uh, i noticed that too there's a there's a a a section i would like you to read that i think we're is going to sound really familiar to us 
So um, tell me, does this sound familiar to you, Teddy? Read it out loud and then tell me if it sounds familiar. This is him speaking. This is Bell speaking in the you video that we we're just talking about. Because some people are fierce with reality, aren't they? They don't have to spout off how they're right and everybody else is wrong because there's something going on inside of them. So powerful, so tangible. You can't help but ask them questions. You're dying to know why they are the way they are. You want them to explain the reason for the hope that's within them. Because when you're around people like this, you have the sense that you've in some way been with Jesus. And that is church. Find my eyeballs. <laughs> They're far. They went up into my. <laughs> this is um, this is what we talk about all the time. This yes. is the idea that people care so much more than they actually do. And that Christians are every other day of their lives going to have some rando person come up to them and be like that joy that you're radiating. I want that. Tell me about that. And that never happens. Never. Never. And 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 let's let's kind of be clear about this. Bell's whole thing, like one of the few consistent notes in his public career is that community interacting with each other is a divine thing that will bring more people to the divine. Whatever the hell that means. I see your eyes just started to settle and they rolled back. No, yeah, no, I like that better. I like that better, actually. Okay. The community aspect. I like that better. It makes more yes. sense. Yeah. 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 Community. I think community and love and desire for that is something that you and I really share in where we currently are. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and I think it's a very beautiful thing. But but again, he still loops it back to this newsboys, DC talk, shine kind of language. Right. Yeah. It's still that like you're going to go out and, you know, noun witness. Right. Right. When you get around them, you've been with Jesus. I don't understand. The, and then that is church. I don't under. Well, I think he just threw that in there for like. He's throwing that in there, I think, because this is around the same time he's deciding to leave the church, to leave the pastorate. So oh. I think he's oh. trying to lay an argument that church is not necessarily the building or a specific community of believers. It is the community that we have together. Which is another thing that was really common in this era. And it coincides yes. perfectly with the secular and the spiritual conversation. This notion yep. of the church, the capital C church being outside the building, being wherever you are, that church is in the coffee shop. And we're doing um, the Donald Miller episode soon. Mm -hmm. Like jazz, that was a huge point for him, too, was like yeah. churches with the heathens, churches everywhere, you know, and I, lo I loved that as a teen. Yeah. Oh, so. I loved it, too. I loved that idea. I was very attracted to the idea that like. You don't need that building. You don't need that specific kind of community. I mean, which that also comes up a similar language that's also really quintessential to this era. And that comes up in this video you showed me is at the tail end there when he goes off on that little that little rant about basically God meeting us in our mess and how yeah. it's OK to be messy and the world is broken and we're broken and we just need to be like honest about that brokenness like that was so classic of oh, yeah. rhetoric of that era. It's like triggering to me. <laughs> there's a there's a book that that brings to mind very, very vividly. I can picture the cover of it. It's like messy faith. And it's like a oh, black and white cover with like Pollock splatters and like bright orange lettering. I thought it was beautiful mess or something like that. It's something like it's messy, okay. something mess, like something like that. But it's a, yeah. like it was a very popular book at the time, too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. actually one yeah. we might want to come back around to. But even his benediction here brings us back to that ground. He acts like this is like he presents this as though it's a groundbreaking revolutionary thing. But 
Here's his benediction. May you be a yes to the question, has Jesus risen from the dead? And may you come to see, may you understand that you are the good news. You are the gospel. And I know people that get really bothered by that. Really? Oh, yeah. You are not the gospel. Christ is the gospel, right? Like it's, yeah, that's the, that's the hair that they'll. Yeah. That's what we hill to die on, but whatever. (laughs) Hill to die on. Talk about some hills that were dying on. Speaking of hills that people died on, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Uh, a little a little hill called Golgotha. <laughs> the weirdest thing about this video is that he ends it by leaving a bathroom I didn't know he was in. <laughs> right? Did you notice that? The last, like, two seconds of the video, he, like, steps away from washing his hands at a bathroom sink, and he walks out, and there's people in the bathroom. Nick, since, so we're, weird. Supposed to, since we're supposed to be honest with our broken about our brokenness, can I can I be candid? Yeah, I was doing the dishes while I listened to the video and I didn't I didn't watch. I didn't oh, like I watch. I just, I just thought li- that was absolutely absurd. I just listened. But that's interesting. And there is another video where he is sitting in what appears to be a park, but then it zooms out and you realize it's just his backyard. So maybe that's like something that he does. I don't know. I don't I don't know. Yeah, He's still really proud of these, by the way. He is. Yeah, he still feels really good about them. I heard him on a podcast when I was doing some research for this that like the guy was just fawning over the revolutionary creativity of these videos. And he was like, oh, yeah, we really like them. We were really happy. He just wanted to do something creative. And like, oh, yeah, he's got that like detached humility where he's not actually being humble, but he's like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. In in the grand style of Bell, I would like to leave all of our listeners and you, Teddy, uh, with a little bit of a benediction. Okay. May you all see through the bullshit. <laughs> May you all recognize the cults where they exist. May you all be able to find your own way, whatever the fuck that means. Wow, bold. Amen. Everyone, just imagine Nick sitting in kind of like a gray casted diner solemn music playing in the background you did a good job speaking very slow you did a good job not Mm -hmm. defining any of your terms i feel like he should hire you for a new part two you know Thank you all so much for joining today's discussion on Oh God, I Forgot About That. If you enjoyed our episode and don't want to miss future conversations, please follow us so you can get notifications of upcoming releases. You can also interact with us between episodes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So search for us and chat with us in those places. And one last thing, we'd be so grateful if you rated the podcast. It'll keep us visible to ensure that others hear about us. Thanks again for joining us on this journey of remembering. Talk to you soon. 